there. You are now listening to Bench Talk, the week in science. Dave Robinson here, and our original plan for this week's episode was to play some Neil Young music at the intro, but due to FCC regulations, Ford Radio isn't really allowed to play copyrighted music like that. So we're going to leave the lawsuits by Neil Young to be directed at the Donald J. Trump for President campaign and not us, as has been the case in the past. Instead, we want to thank Charlie Lewis at freemusicarchive.org for permission to play this lovely tune called Never Going Home. We still want to honor Neil Young this week, however, in recognition of his recent stand for the cause of science and life-saving technology. Neil Young recently pulled his entire musical catalog from Spotify in protest of their continuing to broadcast COVID-19 misinformation via Joe Rogan's show. Neil Young is upset because Joe Rogan has given a voice to a couple of guests that, according to a recent letter signed by some 270 doctors, scientists, and healthcare professionals, quote, reached many tens of millions of listeners vulnerable to predatory medical misinformation. Mass misinformation events of this scale have extraordinarily dangerous ramifications, unquote. These professionals went on to say, quote, Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, Joe Rogan has repeatedly spread misleading and false claims on his podcast, provoking distrust in science and medicine. He has discouraged vaccination in young people and children, incorrectly claimed that mRNA vaccines are gene therapy, promoted off-label use of ivermectin to treat COVID-19, contrary to FDA warnings, and spread a number of unsubstantiated conspiracy theories, unquote. This ties in perfectly with our subject matter today, the misinformation that is being fueled by COVID-19 vaccine doubters. We started this discussion on our last show. It was broadcast on January 31st of 2022, and you can access it now by doing an internet search for Forward Radio Bench Talk. Or go to Facebook and look for Bench Talk the Week in Science. What really catalyzed that episode and this one was a series of shows from another program being broadcast by Forward Radio here in Louisville, Kentucky. That show is called The Climate Report. And in my opinion, that show has been promoting a lot of wrong ideas about the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus. Our focus last week was on the question of whether or not the COVID-19 vaccines being used in the United States right now, whether they're effective. The climate report says no, whereas we say "Mm, yes. No medical treatment offers a 100% guarantee, but the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines are 89 or 96% effective, respectively. Now, their effectiveness does level off after six months or so, and they might not be equally effective on new strains like Omicron, but they have already prevented disease in millions of Americans, 
as well as kept millions others out of the hospital or the funeral home. The vaccine doubters at the Climate Report, however, just don't want to admit this. But anyway, on our last episode, we reviewed that one research paper that seemed to support the Climate Report's argument that COVID-19 vaccines are ineffective. We showed, though, that there is a lot of weaknesses in that paper, and that the first author of the paper himself is a total believer in COVID vaccines. We ended that show with an example of a paper that reported that the mRNA vaccines produced by Moderna and Pfizer were actually quite effective, 96 and 89% effective respectively. But there are other papers that show similar successes. For instance, the October 7, 2021 paper in the New England Journal of Medicine. They looked at 63,000 patients over a six-month period who had checked into hospitals or emergency rooms, and who had been tested for SARS-CoV-2 infections. They studied the vaccination status of those patients and calculated that the two mRNA vaccines were about 90% effective at preventing infection. The European Center for Disease Prevention and Control, which is the European version of the CDC, They just released a big report on January 20th, 2022, that focused on people 50 years of age or older in a six-month study of six European countries like France, Greece, and Spain. And the vaccine of choice there was the Pfizer vaccine, and they reported 94% effectiveness over the non-vaccine control group. Now, these two studies, plus the one that we described on the last show, are all examples of vaccine effectiveness studies. Vaccine effectiveness trials are designed to take place after a vaccine is released for general use. Epidemiologists conduct these kinds of purely observational studies because it's not really ethical to place the general public into either a treatment group or a placebo group. After all, what if a volunteer decides later that they do want to get the vaccine during the experiment? The researcher just can't say no. You can't really stop them from going out and getting vaccinated. But then that messes up the experiment. So with effectiveness studies, all you can do is observe who gets COVID-19 and then find out whether they've been vaccinated or not and try to draw conclusions from that. Effectiveness studies are challenging because it's difficult to eliminate interfering factors like age, health status, chronic illnesses, socioeconomic level, etc. If you really want to reduce all those extraneous factors, you need to conduct a clinical trial, and that's what efficacy trials do. Efficacy trials are performed in the clinic where researchers can divide volunteers up into those receiving the vaccine versus those receiving a placebo, a non-treatment. In efficacy trials, you can control who receives the vaccine. Researchers might not include volunteers if they have underlying health issues or if they're taking medications. This gives the researcher better control. Efficacy trials are what are used immediately after a new medicine has been developed and before it's been released to the public. They start out with trying it on a small number of people and then expand it to larger and larger numbers of subjects. These are called Phase 1, Phase 2, Phase 3 efficacy trials. 
Because researchers can select the volunteers that they use in the efficacy trials and thus reduce extenuating circumstances, the final efficacy percentages can often be higher than what's seen later in the more observational effectiveness trials that are done after the vaccine's been released. What's interesting is that doesn't appear to be the case when it comes to the mRNA vaccines against COVID-19. It turns out the results from the efficacy trials for these two vaccines are quite similar to the effectiveness trials that I described earlier. Now, the efficacy data that I looked at were gathered by the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington. And it's a good summary of vaccine efficacy trials gathered at 230 locations around the world. It was last updated on January 10th, 2022. Well, let's first look at the Pfizer vaccine. That's probably the more common one used here in Louisville. And let's just focus on the ability of the vaccine to prevent infection, since that's what the climate report is speaking of. For the original ancestral strain of the COVID-19 coronavirus, the Pfizer vaccine was 86% efficacious. It was also 86% efficacious for the alpha strain, and that was common in December of 2020, and then efficacy dropped down to 84% for the beta, gamma, and delta strains. So 86, 84% efficacious. If you remember that New England Journal of Medicine paper that I discussed last week, the one involving hospital workers, that paper determined the effectiveness of the Pfizer vaccine to be 89%, which is even higher than these efficacy numbers. But what about the latest COVID strain that's hitting us so hard right now, the Omicron strain? Well, the Pfizer vaccine appears to be only 44% effective. Oh boy, 44% efficacy is getting low, which is probably why Pfizer is recommending a third vaccination, the booster shot. They're also tweaking the mRNA sequence to better mimic the Omicron strain, and they're predicting that this new vaccine might be available as soon as March of 2022. Now, the numbers for the Moderna vaccine are even better than Pfizer's, 92% efficacy for the ancestral and the alpha strains, 91% for beta, gamma, and delta. So this agrees with that paper from last week, which reported 96% effectiveness with the Moderna vaccine. That's even higher than these efficacy numbers of 91 and 92%. But just like we saw with the Pfizer vaccine, its efficacy dropped to only 48% for the Omicron strain. So that's why they're also recommending a booster. Oh, that's a lot of numbers, isn't it? Now, after reading the Climate Report's manifesto about COVID vaccines, I can just predict what they're going to say. It's the same thing that Robert Kennedy Jr. says about the CDC, that the authors of these reports are biased that they receive money from the pharmaceutical industry and that they're somehow influenced by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation so that they just fudge the data to make the vaccine seem more effective than it is. Well, of those two effectiveness studies that I've mentioned this week that were published in the New England Journal of Medicine, one paper had 59 co-authors, the other paper had 44 co-authors, 
That's dozens and dozens of PhDs, MDs, MD-PhDs, and MPHs, Masters of Public Health, who are making up data. And that's a conspiracy theory that's kind of hard to swallow. And I can tell you that the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation has impartiality as one of their five guiding principles. And if this institute was all about ensuring the profitability of the American pharmaceutical industry that the climate report is so concerned about, then their data about COVID-19 vaccines developed by other countries might not be so glowing, right? Well, what about the Sputnik V vaccine, which was fully developed in Russia and is provided to all Russians free of charge? That's reported by the IHME to have almost the same efficacy as the Pfizer vaccine, 85 to 86% efficacy. And that data is not helping the U.S. pharmaceutical industry one bit. But I want to get back to the main point here. The Climate Report show is claiming that the vaccines that Americans are taking are not even 50% effective, but I'm saying that they are way, way more effective than that. Sure, the Omicron strain has evolved enough to lose a lot of its sensitivity to these current vaccines, but Omicron has only emerged in the last two months, since November of 2021, and that problem can be resolved fairly easily since the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines use mRNA technology, so the sequences can be redesigned to match the Omicron sequence pretty quickly. And I realize you might be feeling the same way I do, overwhelmed by all of this data. And when that happens to me, I always look at what I have experienced in my own little world, rather than just something that's published in a scientific journal. I can believe what I've experienced myself, can't I? So what imperial evidence do I have, or do you have, that the vaccine actually works? Well, I'm a college teacher. I've taught large numbers of college students face-to-face for four semesters now. And I also teach three-hour lab sessions with students, so I spend a long period of time in the same room with a lot of students who could have been infected with the COVID-19 virus. But I never caught COVID myself. It's actually kind of amazing to me. Yes, I have been really vigilant about avoiding large crowds. I wear masks. I wash my hands a lot. I meet people online when possible. I try to stay away from people who are unvaccinated. But it's still kind of surprising to me that after being around all these people because of my job, I've never caught COVID-19. Knock on wood, not so far anyway. And I'm pretty sure of this because I've also been very vigilant about monitoring my COVID status. My workplace provided frequent COVID testing, and I would say I've been tested at least 10 times so far. So I'm pretty sure I haven't had it yet. And although my network of friends is not really that large, I guess I'm really not all that friendly. Up until recently, I can only think of one case that I've had among my friends, family, or colleagues who've gotten COVID. And that was probably with the more infectious Delta strain as it occurred last fall. But I can't think of any of these people who were not vaccinated, so they had some protection. Now, with the Omicron strain, that trend has changed. I can think of at least four people in my 
friends, family, work sphere, who, although they have been vaccinated, they still contracted COVID-19. But it's all been within the last few weeks. Don't forget, the mRNA vaccines are having a real hard time fighting off the Omicron strain. So is my personal observation proof that the COVID vaccines are working, or at least up until now? No, of course not. It's anecdotal. I'm just saying that if you don't know who to believe, the climate report versus bench talk the week in science. Just look around you. Have you been vaccinated but still got COVID before the Delta and Omicron strains came around? How about your friends, family, and colleagues? And of those in your sphere who have contracted the virus, how many were unvaccinated? Anyway, we need to move on. Now, the Climate Report is misleading their listeners in other ways, too. The Climate Report keeps insisting that the COVID-19 vaccines don't reduce the transmissibility of the coronavirus. This is a false statement. I know where this idea is coming from. There are reports in the literature that show the overall viral load of COVID-infected people is about the same in vaccinated folks as it is in unvaccinated folks, at least for the Delta and Omicron strains. Researchers determined that by comparing the amount of viral genetic material, and it is RNA, that's in the lungs at the height of infection, which is usually two to three days after exposure. It turns out that viral load is about the same in infected people, whether they're vaccinated or not. Here's what's wrong with the climate report's interpretation, though. Sure, if someone who has been vaccinated does get infected with the COVID-19 virus, they will still be quite infectious. But the odds of getting infected are way, way lower. We've tried to establish that the vaccine does a good job of preventing infection. And folks, you cannot transmit a virus that you don't have. I am pretty sure that I'm not currently spreading the rabies virus because I don't have rabies. I'm not spreading smallpox or Ebola because I'm pretty sure I don't have smallpox or Ebola. And since I've been tested for the COVID-19 coronavirus numerous times and I've always come up negative, I'm probably not spreading COVID-19 either. Knock on wood, though, because there is that period when you're pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic. And you can add another layer on top of that. Turns out the number of days that vaccinated people are actually infectious is shorter. Vaccinated bodies can rid themselves of the virus faster than unvaccinated ones. This means that vaccinated people are infectious for a shorter period of time than the non-vaccinated, which means that they would be spreading all those viral particles for a shorter period of time. And there's another layer that we could put on top of that. It's been observed by researchers that the viral particles in vaccinated people are not as active as in the unvaccinated. No one really knows why. It could be that the viral particles are neutralized by the antibodies that vaccinated people have, or it could be because the virus is just breaking down faster. So even if the viral load as measured by RNA level is the same in vaccinated versus unvaccinated, it appears the virus is less infectious if you're vaccinated. But those are two side points. The main point is that the virus is not transmissible at all if you don't actually have the infection. 
A person who is not infected with COVID-19 coronavirus is not going to be infectious. That's just common sense. Now, if a vaccinated person does catch the virus, they do appear to be just as likely to transmit it to other people as a non-vaccinated person. Their viral load can really be quite high in those first few days, but it's a shorter period of time and there are fewer infectious viral particles. So the climate report is misleading people on this. The climate report needs to stop giving out wrong information. Okay, what about vaccine safety? Now, the climate report and other vaccine doubters repeatedly claim that the COVID-19 vaccines are not safe to take. They primarily provide two sources of information for their opinion. It's the VAERS system, the VAERS system, and secondly, anecdotes. In a manifesto that the Climate Report wrote, there was also a link to a report written by Steve Kirch, who is a Silicon Valley inventor and entrepreneur, and much of the Kirch report is about vaccine safety, and it refers to VAERS system 104 times. Kirsch might have invented the optical computer mouse, but he makes a lot of assumptions in his report, and he makes a lot of leaps of faith that really aren't very appropriate. So what is VAERS? V-A-E-R-S? Well, it stands for Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, V-A-E-R-S. It's run by the CDC and the FDA, and it's basically an early warning system meant to monitor adverse side effects after someone has been vaccinated. This database is open access, so anyone can get into it and see what side effects or negative reactions people have had after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine or really any vaccine for the last few decades. Let me quote a little bit from the official VAERS website. Quote, VAERS collects reports of possible adverse events that happen after vaccination. Anyone can submit a report to VAERS, including patients, parents or caregivers, healthcare providers, and vaccine manufacturers, unquote. So did you hear that? Anyone can report a vaccine adverse event. So if you or I perceive a side effect from taking a vaccine, we can report it to VAERS ourselves. This is great because it means the average citizen is free to report their personal experiences after receiving one or more doses of vaccine. We don't have to go through a medical doctor. What's bad about this is that it's unverified. So someone with an axe to grind could report a side effect without having to provide evidence. Plus, the data in VAERS is coincidental. You could get vaccinated one day and fall down a flight of stairs the next day and blame the vaccine for causing you to lose your balance. Car accidents and even self-injury cases have been reported to VAERS since there was a vaccination prior to those events. So the VAERS system does not prove causality. I remember watching a story a couple of months ago on the Tucker Carlson show on Fox News, and yeah, I do watch Fox News sometimes. He interviewed an elderly woman, she was in her 70s, and this woman had had a stroke one week after receiving a COVID-19 vaccination. 
And Tucker was trying to intimate that the vaccination caused her stroke. But there's lots of people in their 70s who have strokes. Just because she had a stroke after a vaccination doesn't mean the vaccination caused her stroke, especially one week later. The legendary baseball player Hank Aaron died two weeks after receiving his first COVID vaccination, but he was 86 years old when he died. He was in a wheelchair when he came in for the vaccination. He didn't show any symptoms or side effects until he died in his sleep two weeks after his vaccination. Did the vaccination kill him? Well, we simply do not know. It's really difficult to prove that the vaccination killed Hank Aaron. Dr. David McCullough, one of the Climate Report's revered top doctors, claims that the COVID vaccines have led to 45,000 American deaths. Steve Kirsch, the entrepreneur, claimed last summer that it was 30,000 deaths, but that's probably around 45,000 now, according to his calculations. But as of February 3, 2022, the VAERS website lists about 12,000 deaths after vaccination, which is about a quarter of the number that the vaccine skeptics are throwing around. And don't forget, that's the number of people who have died for any reason after receiving a vaccination. With 543 million doses of COVID vaccine given out in the United States, that 12,000 deaths calculates out to be 0.0022% deaths. I calculate that to be about one death for every 50,000 vaccinations, which is a fairly small number considering how many elderly people and folks with other comorbidities there are who just happen to receive vaccinations. You know, on average, about 2,800 Americans die every 24 hours. And with 76% of us having already received at least one COVID vaccination, it's not surprising that some of them might have just so happened to have received a vaccination before their departure from this green earth. Well, let me continue quoting the CDC. Quote, Under emergency use authorization... FDA requires healthcare professionals to report to VAERS certain adverse events that occur after COVID-19 vaccination, unquote. Whoa, did you hear that? The FDA requires healthcare professionals to report adverse events? Well, if you've been listening to the climate report, you've been hearing something different from that. They've been consistently claiming that the VAERS system is entirely voluntary, which is their way of saying that most cases don't get reported. But it's not voluntary. If your physician becomes aware of an adverse event that you've experienced following a vaccination, they're required to report it to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. Regardless of how a vaccinated person dies, it must be reported to VAERS as an adverse event. Now, there's no guidelines to physicians as to how long after a vaccination that they still need to report a death, but for other adverse effects, it varies between one to six weeks, even though some go as long as one year after a vaccination. Physicians are also required to report any life-threatening side effect, any new hospitalizations after a COVID vaccination, 
any health problems that get in the way of a patient's daily life, and any birth defects in cases where the mother was vaccinated while pregnant. So, the climate report really shouldn't keep saying that the VAERS system is voluntary for physicians, because it's not. We've run out of time again, and there's so much more to say. Well, we'll continue this discussion in another episode. But just remember, we present the facts as best we know how. We're wading through as much literature as time will allow. We tell it like we see it, with no alliance. We're Bench Talk, the week in science. Thanks, and see you later. <laughs>